Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Dr. Christopher Hall Show. And I'm excited to welcome the program, Dr. Christopher Hall. Dr. Hall, how are you? I just think, you know, and, and I know you're feeling better about the news today with the vaccines about to come out, right? You're definitely right. I'm, I'm definitely feeling a lot better. And, and particularly now, like I said, when we're moving, we're in the direction where we have 11 million uh, positive cases here in the United States. And so, yeah, this vaccine is coming at the right time. I'm very excited. You know, and see, it's kind of funny. We were the first to break this. Remember, I was booking you on podcast before he came to the United States. We should have listened to you, right? <laughs> Dr. Christopher Hall knew it was up when you were the coronavirus ex- expert breaking down the virus right at the beginning in China, right? And you didn't think it would be this deadly. And I think when you were in those interviews, you didn't either, did you? You know, I really didn't initially, but again, working right in the midst of it, right down the front lines, when I started to see the cases coming in, I knew that we had something different. And again, I think we're, we're kind of right about what was going to happen so far as this resurgence now with the virus and again with the timeline on the vaccine. So uh, again, it's one of those things you just you look at it. And um, you just hope for the best. And, and yeah, so you made the, you made the right, you made a right prediction, right? And if we can just make it just one year, right? March things go back to normal. It was one year we dealt with it. That's it. And that, and then we're back to, you know, traveling again and and everything. And we just learned a lot about ourselves. No doubt, no doubt. There's definitely a change uh, uh, coming. So I'm very excited about that. I am too, and I'll, we'll keep our fingers crossed, right? And we'll make sure uh, that things uh, continue to go because we're going to have a tough next couple of months. But that's what we'll hunker down and do. Doctor Christopher Hall shows as many times as we can before 2021, as we've had an exciting time. But today, I'm I guess as your uh, I guess PR slash co-host slash everything for you, Dr. Hall. I'm excited to ex- announce as this is one of my initiatives for 2021. We have two big ones. And one is I thought, you know, after all of these celebrities, when you've told them their story, your story, they've been blown away, right? They have just said, oh my gosh, you're just like me in certain ways. And we, the story is so powerful that um, you told me before you wanted to do this, but we're going to make the initiative to get in the process of making this book into a movie. And I think this makes you really excited. You know what? It's, it's, it's just, again, another step, I think in the right direction of getting this very important message out to our young people in America that uh, again, we live in a country where all opportunities are available, where you can, come from almost anywhere in society and go uh, to strive and be the best. And so, and that's the story we've been hearing from some of the celebrities, from their stories. And uh, so, yeah, it, it's a very exciting time. It's, it truly is. And, and, the th- and the thing that makes it so exciting is the, the fact that of just the story is needs to be told because of we are missing the boat when it comes to Looking, we always are looking at superstar athletes. We're not looking at people that have overcome to become professionals in society, not end up in jail, not end up, you know, um, you know, in a lot of trouble. And how you were able to overcome, and the story also of looking at your brother and the decisions he made, and to let lots of African American women and men and everyone else around the world know they too can be successful if they put their mind to it. And you lay out in every broadcast, 
And I know that I, I figure I, I get where you're at is, hey, education's important. Hard work is important. Overcoming adversity is important. And lastly, putting a stamp on giving back after you make it successfully. That's the stories you try to tell on every program. You know, you're totally right about that, Neil. And the great thing is, again, we've had the superstars from every field that have validated that approach, that have joined us in telling their stories to inspire young people and to inspire the American public. And as we make this march towards turning this book into a screenplay, uh, so this message uh, of hope, this message of the American dream, of who we are as a people, uh, can uh, blast out into society and, again, keep our people motivated. So, wow, it's just it's just exciting. Exactly, and that'll, that'll be the next phases and steps that we talk about. But I wanted to kind of summarize in this uh almost you know how many episodes we've already done uh, on the dr christopher hall show and again how many people have been talking about it, hearing it all over the world and and understanding these stories that everyone truly has a story of overcoming obstacles but also never giving up and believing in yourself and some of these stories are just amazing to think about these people who truly never give up and believe in themselves exactly and that's very true and again, we saw a number of stars who came forward in, in general. You know, as the book has climbed again to the 500 position for, you know, I mean, for books for science for kids, and in 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 find that Amazon poll heard it in the background. Hey, you know, you might need to turn this into something else where people can see in a larger audience. And we've had stars step forward, Tate Diggs. We've had Brandon T. Wright, and they've all saw that what was important, the important truths in the book that could help our young people. And they suggested, hey, let's try to turn this book into a screenplay to a larger audience. And so um, I think as we march in that direction, uh, there's nothing more than uh, the hope, the hope of what's best for all of our young people here in America. And everyone has a story. Remember that, everybody. Whatever you do in life, you have a story. You just got to become the very best at what you do. And when you become the very best at what you do, you can really help others. But if you or make it to the pinnacle of a level of a doctor of a of any type of field that's a professional field that you're helping others and the front line workers as well. Whatever job you do, you do your very best. And you, too, have a story and that story can be told. And that's so important, uh, Dr. Hall. And uh, that's great to hear about the book. And I know you have other books in the works, too, but that's for another uh, episode. And we have some big guests coming up again uh, to talk to. But I think that your excitement when you get to talk to people is really the truly to see how they're really willing to provide great uh, information for young people. Isn't that correct, Dr. Hall? You are totally correct. And, And that's what I found. Even when I served as a captain in the Army, was showing a positive example, uh, having faith in uh, people you work with, troops, uh, other people that you're communicating with, and trying to be the best possible example you can, particularly for our young people, because those are the individuals who will form the basis and who will form um, pretty much the rock of our country and, and how we go in the future. So. All right. Well, fantastic, Dr. Hall. I appreciate you coming by. 
uh, and we can find information on your website and then also Amazon for the book. Is that correct? That's totally correct. Totally correct. All right. Thanks again for stopping by. We'll look forward to another great episode tomorrow. Take care. You too. Thanks. All right. Thanks got, all right. Okay. It. All right. That was the Dr. Christopher Hall show. Take care. Neil Haley here. Lensec has been a sponsor of the Neil Haley show and total media network for around a year and a half. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about Lensec. Lensec has been a pioneer in IP security video since 1998. The company is a trusted security partner with experience around the world. Lensec has experience working with customers in higher education, K through 12 education, government, public safety, critical infrastructure, healthcare, commercial, and more. The physical security experts at Lensec help customers develop enterprise solutions for their complex physical security projects using our flagship software, Perspective VMS. Lensec's enterprise-level video management software, Perspective VMS, is a browser-based software that streams and captures IP security camera video. The latest version of PVMS uses HTML5 interactive features in a thin client application that is designed to provide real-time situational awareness. Access control and other advanced features are integrated into a unified security platform, creating an ability to track behavior and movement while monitoring the live or recorded video. For more information, please visit lensec.com. And now back to the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Neil Haley Show. And, you know, this topic today is all about living a legacy. So I'm excited to welcome the program CEO, Eric Couch, and also host of Living Legacy. Eric, how are you? And uh, I tell you, I've been seeing the podcast coming out, and it's been great. Some of these times you've done, right? Yeah, it's, it's been having a blast. Having an absolute blast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. So for our listeners out there that, you know, have heard us kind of go back and forth and now I want to really get them to subscribe to the podcast so they can, you know, catch up with all the different interviews because it's so theme based and so important, especially in our time and our struggle in 2020. I want to ask why you started this podcast. You know, for a lot of reasons, as you know, we started it right as COVID was was beginning and hitting off and everybody's at home. And there's just, you know, there was just kind of this, I don't know if sadness is the word, but just this kind of cloud above America where it's like, man, we're all stuck at home. We don't know about the future. People are getting laid off. There's just this anxiety was building and we're hearing in the news about, Hey man, kids are, kids are not able to go to school, which means they're not getting fed and there's more abuse at home because the parents are laid off and it, there's already abusive situations. So there's, there's all of this, this stuff going around. And I'm like, man, we need, we need some positive news. Um, you know, so we started this right at the beginning of COVID, but then with COVID, we also had George Floyd going, you know, uh, his, his death and murder. And, and we had, you know, all the, un, the civil unrest in the nation. And again, it was just like, man, everywhere I turn, I hear anxiety, my blood pressure goes up and I'm like, I'm just looking for a place where we can find some hope uh, because there's so many good things going on in our country. 
you know, we don't always hear about them, but there's so much good news going on in our country. People doing amazing things, people giving just because they can give. And it doesn't always have to be money. It can be your time, your talents, your resources. You know, it can just, it can just be giving someone a hug or, you know, in the COVID time, a, you know, a, an air fist bump or, or just telling them, man, you're doing great. You know, I'm proud of you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's why we started is, is, you know, how can, how can we live our legacy today, right? Not just leave a legacy, yeah. but how can we live it out in our lives today? And let's hear the stories of people who are doing just that, right? So, so to this point, to date, we've, we've pretty much exclusively interviewed celebrities, right? But, but the goal is, you know, to interview celebrities and amazing people mm-hmm. as they use their influence to impact the world around them. So what, what we're trying to work on right now is, is get some of these amazing people that you may never have heard of, but when you hear their story, you're just like, man, that's awesome. You know, something bigger than yourself. We've got to get outside of ourselves. We've got to get beyond, you know, the tree right in front of us and be able to see that we live in an amazing country and we live in an amazing time and we've got opportunities that have nothing to do with having a job or money or, or a million other things, but just to be grateful for what we've got and to use what we've got. Yeah. You know, it's interesting when you talk about that, Eric, because again, the word living a legacy, you have to kind of reflect and say, am I truly yeah. living a legacy? Am I, when, pe- when I go or during my life, Am I truly doing something that's giving back and truly something that will be remembered? And the people that we've interviewed, amazingly enough, some of them we were very surprised by, truly live a legacy. And you said, are are these these guys really living a legacy? I said, trust me, we'll we'll make sure it happens. And we've seen that with celebrities, but I love the idea of finding everyday people as well that are living a legacy. Absolutely. Because, you know, we, people see our, people see our podcast, right? And they're going, oh man, Les Brown and Kathy Ireland and Clint Black and, you know, Tracy Lawrence and all of these major celebrities uh, from actors to singers to, um, you know, all kinds of folks, right? And, but, but when I think of living a legacy with my story, I think of someone that, that no one ever on here has ever met, right? I think of my aunt Carolyn who passed away of cancer, you know, 15 years ago. Uh, but my entire childhood from the day I was born, she was my cheerleader. Right. So she may not have impacted the world, but she impacted my world. Um, because she always, she always believed in me. She always, anytime I'm around, cause I didn't see her all the time, but anytime I was around, she's telling everybody around me, she's literally like calling in this, from the street corners screaming, come, come over here and let me tell you about my nephew, right? And that's how my Aunt Carolyn was, or at least that's how I felt, right? Um, and it's like, there's, there's, we all have that ability to make the difference in somebody's life. Absolutely. The and question is, are we taking advantage of that? And are we, are we choosing our words wisely? Um, and, and I'm, you know, so, so living a legacy is, is really more for me than it is for anybody else to remind me of who I am and who I want to be as a person and the impact that I want to have in people's lives. And then we want to help others, right? Just let's find some positive. 
and let's laugh and, and let's hear stories about people that we've always enjoyed, you know, and it's like, okay, I want, how did you do this? Or tell me more about that. Or, exactly. you know, so that's, that's what living a legacy is. So you want a mixed bag of celebrities, but everyday people mixing it up, right? That's what absolutely anybody that's using their influence to impact the world around them. Right. And it doesn't have to be the world. It can be their world. Mm -hmm. It can be, um, you know, someone who really is invested into parenting and they've used those skills to, to help other people be great parents or, or in, you know, business, you know, one of the things, uh, in fact, I mentioned, I mentioned to you the other day, I was like, I was talking to my son and I was like, you know what? I want to get Aaron Franklin on here, a Franklin barbecue. Right. And Evan and I were talking, uh, the other day about that. And I was like, he was like, well, dad, how does that fit? And you know, of course, both of us love barbecue and we're in yeah. Texas. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, we love smoking and grilling and barbecue and brisket and ribs and all that. And, uh, and if you're in Texas, you probably have heard of Aaron Franklin and maybe around the country. He's got a master class and all that. But I'm like, he's used his ability as someone who's really good at just barbecuing and, and smoking meats to he's he's made a name for himself around the country and around the world for that. But also, what does food do? It draws us together. Right. When do we get together as a family? Thanksgiving. Yes. What do we do at Thanksgiving? We made a crap ton of food. And, and then we Texas, sit around and gorge ourselves. Right? Your turkey yeah. a little different than the East Coast turkey, Yankee turkey then, right? Well, it's true, but, you know, there's there's, there's a... It's barbecue you know, there's, everything in Texas. Everything's barbecue. Everything's barbecue in Texas, right? So, uh, but, you know, it's like people, people, let's, let's, let's expand the idea of you don't have to be a celebrity to make an impact in somebody's life. You know, it's, it's always fun to hear the celebrity stories, but, but really many of the most compelling stories are from people you've never heard of and never would have heard of. But it's like, wow, that their vision is so much bigger than themselves. It's not just about them. Uh, and that's where, we, that's where we get beat down in society and in our, in in our lives. That's where depression gets in is when I'm only focused on myself and I can't see past myself that's when depression sets in and that's when our world goes south. But when we can see bigger than ourselves right. and we can see the world around us and we can, and not just see the world, but we can see like each soul as we're looking around and we're like, man, that person needs a hug. That person needs just a word of encouragement. You know, they need a job. Stories that you yeah. bring your faith to it. And that's the other part Absolutely. is your faith. And when you thought you had no idea about Kathy Ireland and the faith that she would bring, and that was no. unbelievable. Or somebody like um, Tom Arnold, blown away by that faith, yeah. his faith and his family. These are yeah. the things that just you're like, it's a wow. Are you serious? Right, because that's Tom's legacy is being a father. Right. Um, you know, that was interesting. Uh, you know, Matthew McConaughey going through going through his book green lights his his legacy is that he's always wanted to be a dad and what's funny in his book is eighth chapter it's it's about living a legacy i, I started dying laughing i oh was like gosh. but but you know and that's what it's called but his legacy his thing that he's always wanted to be we think of matthew mcconaughey we're like you know all right all right right 
uh, from Dazed and Confused. But, but his legacy that he's always wanted was to be a father. Um, so just like Tom Arnold, the dude yeah. lost 100 pounds because he wanted to be healthy so that he could be around for his kids. Yeah, that's how he's living his legacy is, is, is getting, getting, you know, he doesn't have a six pack. You know, sometimes we're like, well, unless I'm valedictorian, it doesn't count. No, same as I tell my kids, right? I don't care if you make straight A's. I just care that you give it your best. And the same thing, you know, we, we don't have to be the CEO of some major company. We don't have to be on movies to live a legacy. Exactly. You just give your best and wherever you're at. Your day-to-day -day work. Yeah. And you do it and do it passionately, regardless of what your work is. And it, it becomes holy with the ability to make it great for God. Absolutely. Yeah. Any type of work. Now, let me jump, Eric, to a, a question. Do you have a fond memory since you've been doing the podcast that your favorite interview? Favorite interview? Ooh. Um, there's been a lot of favorite moments. There have. Uh, you know, I still go back to our very first interview with Patrick Warburton, where, you know, it was our interview was day one of COVID lockdown in the state of California. Okay. Nobody could leave their home. And it was day one. Like it had just gone into effect hours earlier, like two hours earlier. Right. And, um, you know, so the, 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 the national hysteria, everybody's running out looking for toilet paper. Remember that. And, and everybody's, you know, and we're talking to Patrick and he's like, man, I'm loving it. And then he goes on to say, you know, all my kids are grown up and they're out of the house yet right now, everybody's at home. And yeah. we're playing board games and we're having happy hour and we're going yeah. for walks. And he's like, you know, we, I didn't know that I would ever get this opportunity again because they're grown up and yet we're all under the same house. We're under the same roof. And he's like, you know, even in the midst of toilet paper shortages or whatever, and, and, and protests starting, he said, you know, we've got a huge blessing. And that hit me that hit me so hard and you, because I was already just thinking about it a lot. Yeah. But then when he said it and just put it and it, you know, definitively in words, it was like, man, that's exactly right. And that's where I want to focus in. It set the, it set the whole pace for this COVID-19 lockdown and all that was to go into it going, man, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be with my family right now, yeah. rather than being stressed about work or toilet paper or, anything else i was like you know what it's going to work out and it i've got some i've got regardless some old towns people we'll are gonna it it's going to work out regardless who's the president regardless of who's running yeah. the government you yeah. create your own legacy we you do don't, you don't allow other people create to, to create that legacy it's your job to, regardless right. it's regardless where you are in life you know from hearing from frank shamrock's story which is not aired yet a lot of the different ones that you have to come out next, they all had challenges in life, but they created their own legacy. And right. with God, and you truly believe, you can create that legacy too in whatever you do. Right. So, so Colossians 3, 23 and 4 says, whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart is working for the Lord and not for man. Knowing that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord is your reward. Right. So whatever you do, Give it your best. And it doesn't matter 
It doesn't matter if you make a lot of money, if you don't make much money, if you don't make any money. It doesn't matter if, if people notice you or if there's people cheering. You know, I want to give my best in everything I do. I want to make an impact in everything I do. And it doesn't matter if people are looking, right? Because it's, it's my integrity and my character that's on the line. Not a paycheck, not what some boss thinks or anything like that. Um, and the, the only thing that I can control is my attitude. Exactly. Right? I don't know the future. I don't know if I'm going to get sick. I don't, I don't know if I'll get some IRS bill or Lord only knows what, right? But I can't control my attitude. Exactly. Uh, and that's, and, and, and and we that's all, what it's all about. We all have to begin and begin again in so many ways. Now, where can people right. subscribe to the podcast and find out more information on you? Okay, so Living a Legacy is you can find it on all channels that have podcasts. So Apple, a lot of people are watching it right now on Apple Podcasts. Um, uh, the main place is at anchor.fm slash living a legacy. So that's the easiest place to find it. But if you want to look for living a legacy on um, any of the podcast stations where you'd find, wherever you listen to podcasts at, look for living a legacy there. But of course, Apple's probably be a big one that, that most people are going to. Well, I think we are going to have a new world on Monday, meaning back to normal in certain ways, hopefully yeah. to peace and happiness. And now we can stop thinking political and start just living our legacy. So I appreciate you coming by. And it's yeah. a very powerful thing when we, all I've been bombarded this week is with political. And I appreciate you bringing Man. peace yeah. and serenity to a crazy world. But that's our job. And we have to, we have it to is. That those passionate, happy people in the midst of craziness. So I appreciate you coming by. Right, right, absolutely. Thanks, Neil. All right, you're listening to The Neil Haley Show and watching The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Time to solve real problems in every education by answering key questions to ensure that every child can learn. Hey, welcome to Every Child Can Learn. And I'm the co-host, Neil Haley, and I'm excited to welcome the program, Phil Makehomer. Phil, how are you? And uh, episode two, I heard such great feedback from episode one, especially the challenges that educators and parents are going through just figuring out what's going on in school, right? It's, it's, a, it's such a crazy thing for all of October and what's happened so far since schools have opened up in September. It sure is, Neil. It's, you know, it's exciting to think about change because we can't have forward movement without change. But boy, is change scary for people and also causes anxiety. And in our first episode, I used the term slow and steady. And that's what we need to do is we need to make sure that we're moving methodically with purpose and with intention, regardless of the problems that we're solving right now. That's so true. And I mean, the, the problems and we're going to see in the next couple of weeks, if we're going to be going back to, you know, uh, virtual learning or, or are we going to be hybrid for all schools by the time the end of November? So it'll be very interesting for our next time we record what will happen next. Well, our question today is what are the most common mistakes made when supporting students with executive functioning challenges? And I'm a teacher, so I understand that 
definition of executive function functioning, but a lot of parents out there, Phil, do not. Well, you know, I think that we could summarize executive functioning skills as the command center of our brain. And, you know, they consist of multiple skills like organization, planning, prioritizing, memory, emotional regulation, impulse control. And oftentimes it really involves being able to size up a problem come up with a plan to solve a problem. And sometimes it's more than one solution option. And then reassess the plan over time. And because things change, and then you have to be able to be flexible to modify your plan. And when I chat with students about this and with teachers and families, I say it's really all about managing yourself and managing your behavior so you get something done because that's the real life skill involved in this. It's not just completing an assignment at school. You know, kids need to really understand how their brain works and then why it's important to be able to use these set of skills to just function in real life. Yeah, it's, it's so true. Um, and the problem is executive functioning is something that special needs kids have trouble doing because of all the things going on with them. But we're seeing more and more and more our learners, especially with the changes that they used to have a classroom a lot of times to learn, meaning there were so many ways that teachers could provide every tool necessary in the classroom that really cannot be provided online. And that's why we've seen studies that online learning is much better for middle school and high school kids that have more executive functioning. Well, exactly. You know, children with attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder, learning disabilities, uh, problems with social and emotional uh, behavioral functioning, you know, they often feel failure and frustration in the classroom. And they often experience executive functioning difficulties. They struggle with initiating tasks and their work, completing their work, definitely in the area of organization, and then oftentimes motivation for any academic or classroom task. Yeah, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty interesting. You know what I mean? It's like, wow. And so I, I think that what can, if you don't have the right executive functioning, Phil, what happens? Well, you know, it's interesting. There are, I consider eight key executive functions. Can I share what they are? Because so, sure. so many people get overwhelmed with all of the subcategories of everything. And I think we just need to simply categorize executive functions. And I've kind of simplified this for people. I've categorized them into three basic categories. The first category is organization, planning, and prioritizing, all right? That means anything from putting things in the right order to organizing your environment, organizing the files in your brain, being able to plan out a reasonable number of steps, not 25 steps, not 30 steps. Sometimes it's part one has five steps. Then you move to part two and prioritizing, which means what's important and what's not important. Because oftentimes students become so overwhelmed that they focus on the things that are not important that causes them 
a great deal of anxiety. So that's category one. Category two is all about memory. And it's referred to as working memory. And you know, Neil, you know that I'm a big believer in kids need to understand what words mean because yes. we can't just keep throwing terms at them. No. And teachers and families too, right? Right. And I love doing what I call vocabulary break aparts. So what is what does it mean to be working? Working means to be doing something actively to achieve a goal and that your brain is on the work task. So let's do a school-based example. You're supposed to be working on a component of your social studies project for social studies fair, for example. Your mind should not be on lunch, <laughs> although that's very exciting. Your working memory needs to be able to be on what are the steps that need to be done to then get to the next part. And memory is basically just retrieving something when you need it. That's our biggest jobs as teachers, is to be able to assist students with that working memory. So that's part, the category two. And then category three, boy, it's a big thing in life, like you just said, like what happens if they don't get this, is self-monitoring. I yeah. mean, this is a life skill, right, Neil? Yes. You know, and it's not a standalone skill, as I say. Meaning it's not just, oh, I need to monitor myself to make sure I'm doing a good job. It's not that easy. It involves flexible thinking, being able to look at a problem and say, wow, there's more than one solution. And on any given day, this solution is better than that solution. But it doesn't mean that solution isn't a good solution. It's just not right on Thursday, today. So emotional regulation, which is, you know, let's look at the size of the problem and let's look at your reaction. Did you overreact? Did you underreact? And that's, Neil, when you get the kids of, I don't care. I don't care what grade I get. Well, actually, they do care. And they get feedback and need to be able to self-reflect to want to improve. And then, of course, there's impulse control. And we know that. You and I have talked about that yes. a lot with kids, right, is being able to think before you act, and that's all related to decision-making. Our decisions define us, and teaching kids these skills is the start. And I think we should go back to your original question, where we led with is, what are the common mistakes that educators really make yeah. when supporting students with these challenges, right? Yes. So, we all want to help kids. Right. I think that's why teachers are teachers, is because they want to make a difference in not just a group of students' lives, but even in one particular child's life, right? And so if we're solution-oriented, sometimes that revolves around stuff, right? And so you will see repeatedly there's a lot of time spent in education giving students planners and checklists and prompting systems and timers to help them, for example, with organization and planning and being able to complete a task and control your impulses and then self-monitor how you're doing. And I'll tell you, they're only so effective oftentimes on a limited basis, because that's not where we should start. 
we shouldn't give kids stuff and expect it to be all of a sudden all better they're now able to self-monitor because we gave them a timeline or a checklist for their project because usually what happens you mentioned neil you know you have students with disabilities for examples um, they also might have some instructional support staff helping them and what ends up happening is we give a student a checklist and a timeline and then that paraprofessional or that one-on-one -on -one support person ends up using that timeline and the student is just going through the motions because they're on a deadline and so those tools are not really independent really for the student and so it's not the place to start yeah it's not and so it's and I think that the challenge educators see in this is when they don't, when somebody is able to see, or parents, don't think like they think. They don't understand why. They don't understand the, how the brain develops in certain ways. Because we all are kind of conditioned in the fact that everyone should think the way we think. But that's really not true. And so, Phil, it's just something where we have to give them the tools necessary for the lacking of executive functioning that some of these kids have. And that means using many different tools that we might have used as adults, but we just don't think that kids should be using those tools because when we're doing multiple projects, when we need a project management tool, when we're writing, when we, we have a bunch of things to do, we have a list to do those things. Well, kids, we assume, well, if it's just really one step, complete a math problem, we don't really need to look at executive functioning. But that's not true, Phil, is it? It isn't, Neil. And you know, I'm going to go back to what you said that I don't want lost is about understanding how your brain works, because that is the starting point. Giving kids tools is not the starting point to help them with their struggling executive functions. As teachers, we just can't give them tools without explicitly teaching students how their brain learns and the role executive functions play in that. And it's just simply amazing, Neil, how engaged students are when they learn how they learn. I'm going to say that again. Kids love to learn how they learn because the minute that they understand in their own unique brain, because your brain's different than my brain, right? You just said that, that everyone has different learning styles, right? Yes. That when they understand these are my strengths of my brain and these not so much, then they apply their learning style to these different executive functions. Like I explicitly train educators, and trust me, I have trained thousands of educators in terms of putting step-by-step -step lessons together in each of these three categories I mentioned of executive functions. So if we were doing category one with organization, planning, and prioritizing, what are the specific lessons we're going to do to teach children about organization? It's not just going to be to give them a checklist no. or to say, clean up your work area or your locker's a mess. That, that doesn't teach them about organization. And 
you know, it's so interesting seeing how when you present kids with different things and they categorize them, important, not important, how much you learn about their individual brains. And students are very engaged in lessons like this because I will tell you for the years I've been in education, in the research that is involved in brain-based research and also our own research related to the PACT framework that I've authored is that we know that students of any ability cannot express and demonstrate what they do not understand or have been explicitly taught. They can't. And that is the key is we have to teach executive functioning skills, not just provide tools to students. Because then if we teach the executive functioning skills and students have a better understanding of them and of their own learning and learning style, then the tools we give them will be so much more effective. And doesn't that make sense? It makes complete sense. And it's, uh, but it's every child's different. So that's why, you know, the name of the show, every child can learn we have to learn as you've learned in your career as a successful educator and educational consultant that the way we present learning to each individual child has to be different. It does. It cannot be one size fits all. And my concern is that we are really running into that right now with the pandemic. And I'm just giving that as a call to action for families out there that are frustrated as I got a call today as an educational advocate for a family because special education funding, uh, the bandwidth that they had before is decreasing because of a pandemic, like everything gets done, but it's your job to, as parents and educators, to educate yourself through podcasts like this one, to really understand the way I need to still do things, even though it's so challenging with the online versus offline types of instruction I'm doing to make sure I still meet the needs of, the, of each individual student. That's very true. And Neil, whether you are in in-person learning, in a school building, or in-person classroom, or you're in a remote learning session, we know that students with executive functioning issues respond very well to increased structure routine and predictability in their lives. So it doesn't matter which setting it's in, these three things are hallmark half-dos with students with executive functioning issues. Structure, routine, and predictability. And then the fourth one is teach them about their brain. You know, I teach many courses on executive functioning. In fact, uh, in our seminar library on aboutthepact.com, there is an in-depth seminar on how to teach executive functions in these three categories on our seminars uh, tab. And in one of my recent courses that I taught uh, live online, a teacher said to me at the end of that six-hour seminar, she raised her hand and she said, you know, Phil, as you know, I'm a middle school, she's an eighth grade ELA teacher, English language arts. And she said, I always used to think that teaching executive functioning skills 
were the job of the special educator and the speech language pathologist that might be serving some of the kids in my classroom. And my biggest takeaway from this course is that it's my job as a classroom teacher to build executive functioning into my classroom culture and lessons. And I, I had tears running down my cheeks because that was my message that executive functioning principles should be built into every single lesson that we do with kids in addition to teaching them how their brain works. And I said to myself, by George, she's got it. <laughs> she, she got the message. And that's the message that we need to spread here is that we easily could build in to every instructional session, lesson, and opportunity a way for children to learn about their brain. Wow. Okay. Well, this is all fantastic information, but this is just a tidbit of what we can learn from uh, this question. So where can we find additional information and learn more about uh, the PACT and also about what you're doing, especially regarding executive functioning? Yes. Uh, on our website at aboutthepact.com, that's A-B-O-U-T, the T-H-E, PACT, P-A-C-T, Dot com, you could find more information out about the structure, routine, and predictability of this teaching framework. And as I mentioned, just dropped our uh, recorded seminar library that we now have recorded seminars, one of which avail is available on teaching executive functioning skills. And I think that our listeners might want to explore that to find out more. All right. Well, it's uh, definitely uh, great information. Another great episode. So excited to talk education with you. And as I'm expanding Total Tutor again as well, it's kind of funny. I have multiple brands now, and you're getting me really excited uh, with the edu we're in the education season. And people need people like you, Phil, and myself that really understand every child can learn. So I appreciate you stopping by again. It was such great information. Oh, it's such a pleasure, as always, to talk, talk with you, Neil. Whenever I chat with you, I always learn something, too. Okay, guys, so that was Every Child Can Learn. Thanks for listening to Every Child Can Learn. Please visit Phil's website at aboutthepack.com for questions or comments. Celebrity Slots. Free to play mobile social slot games in the likeness of your favorite celebrities. Making money. Spin to win celebrity experiences through sweepstakes. Free to download, free to play. Yeah, baby. What are you waiting for? Win meet and greets, celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more. Download Celebrity Slots today. We're back to Neil Haley's show, and uh, always excited to welcome to the show. We debate a lot, 
especially on my radio show where it's my show, not when I co-host with him on YouTube, because it's more and more I'm in control. Andrew Shackin. Andrew, how are you? Thanks I'm good. I'm fun. always glad to be on your show, Neil. I'm really glad to, uh, to uh, make a few comments about a few things. Exactly. Make a few comments. Let's talk about the comments. Right. What I want to do is, this is what I want to talk about. Uh, I want to talk about why I, 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 I'm a Christian. Okay. Now, this is a tricky issue because, let me put it this way, Neil. In our present society, it is an increasingly minority position. I think that's true? Yes. We're, we're starting to see that more and more. More and more. And, but for me, it provides me, having given some thought to the matter, to, uh, to some solutions to some very important issues that I don't think the materialistic point of view of your next pair of shoes, your next car, whatever, that doesn't satisfy me. I'll tell you why. Uh, first of all, uh, I wrote this book here. It's called Essays on the Christian Worldview. And it has a chapter, Why I Am a Christian. And um, because it's an extremely tricky issue, because uh, Jesus claims to be God. Now, that is a pretty outrageous claim. Don't you think so? Yeah. And he claims to give us eternal life. That we don't have to die. And um, so it's kind of, but we're being asked to believe that claim. And understandably, many people in the world have a problem with it. They say, look, I, all I know is that my car runs. I, I have a nice house. And that's all I know. But um, uh, Jesus, the Christianity provides me certain solutions. One thing, there's the matter of how I got to be. You and me, Neil, how we or anybody came into existence or how the world came into existence. I had a friend of mine in an office once. You know what he said? It was an atomic explosion. Well, I'm going to ask you, Neil, a huge explosion, and that resulted in everything coming into life. I'm going to ask you, Neil, do you know about the atomic explosions in Nagasaki and Hiroshima? Yes. Did anybody come, come out of it alive? Was there any life created? No, death, but some people survived. Some people survived, but this man, people say that the world came in a huge, huge explosion. And that's how things came to me. And that's a very unsatisfactory. Christianity says it was created. And I believe there is nothing in this world, me, you, this computer, my telephone here, this pen, my house I live in, wherever I have, somebody caused it to be made. And therefore, I take the correct, I think the correct Christian position that something made it. I cannot believe that everything happened by accident. That some kind of fish walked out of the say and became a human being. So we're almost going into an, an evolution debate in certain aspects uh, from this. I'm not going to get into evolution. All I'm saying is that Christianity takes the position and the Christian religion and other religions do too. But I don't believe that anything this in my complex biological mechanism, every cell has a DNA component, doesn't it? Yes. Every, every, every part of our body is delicately made. I don't believe this happened by accident. 
somebody, something, or there was a law implanted that made these things happen. That is one reason I, I'm, 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 I'm a Christian, because I am not satisfied with being told that everything happened by accident. Huge atomic explosions, this man said, that's how things came into being. Don't believe that's true. Sorry, don't believe it. You can believe things happened as you say, but for my satisfaction, I look at the complex world we live in, very complicated in terms of, terms of animal and vegetable life. I can't believe it happened by accident. I believe the mind of God, some kind of law was implanted to make these things happen. I don't know how it works, but that's my opinion. Now, I want to say something else. Another reason that I am a Christian. Okay. I'll give you this reason. Uh, many people in the world, in our present society, Christianity account, accounts, gives an explanation for the mess we're in, uh, Neil. Uh, that's pretty mildly, isn't it? Right, exactly. We are living in a horrible world, correct? See, in certain aspects, if you're looking at it in this perspective, yes, we are living in a horrible world. But were we living in a horrible world in the 50s? Yes, we were. Were we why, living in a horrible Can you give me an explanation why people are constantly trying to hurt other people? It's a fact. But people in the 50s were hurting people. Yes, they were. People in the I 20s want to know. I'm not talking about the time. The this is the way it is. They were hurting For the past 100 million years, I want to know right. why this happens. Christianity so, provides an explanation. Why there's a battle says, between Christianity, which is selfless, that you're supposed to give yourself to God and service and that, versus other. It's all. You believe that to, evil exists? Well, there's definitely evil in this world because power, How'd it get money, here? envy, all of those things drive people on a regular basis. Christian, That's right. So Christianity with that says on a regular basis. Right, yes. You're right, Neil. I agree with you. This this is how things are. Right. People are envious. So but here's the, I'd like to have people. a conversation with somebody that is not a Christian or a Jew or have any God, but is not an atheist, but just is really not a religious person why, or doesn't believe, not to believe to an atheist level. But why is it? Why is it that the perspective of a Christian is taboo? Some people just don't want to talk about God. Why? Well, because I think our present society, there has been a development, Neil, which um, denies what we've just been talking about. This problem in human nature is grossly obvious, correct? Right. People are, no, people are self-directed, correct? Right. They are thinking about themselves, right? Correct. And that thinking about themselves involves uh, attacking other people at times, correct? Yes. Sometimes it involves assaults. Sometimes it involves wars. Sometimes it involves divorces. It can involve anything you may want. Right. What, then the Christianity provides an explanation that how, why, how this situation came about. And it's in the full story in Genesis 2. Of course, people are going to laugh at me and I believe that story. That's okay. I think that particular story covers the reality of how things have gone absolutely and completely okay. wrong. So, so let me give you the point of view, and this is, let's let's say, with the Christian, how they are going to have to act based on the holy air now Christians. You're not, Andrew. You say, if you want to be gay, if you want to be uh, a bad person, it's not my j job to 
tell them wrong, the judgment will handle that stuff. I'm not going to go against homosexuals. I'm not, I mean, I'm going to go against them, but I'm not going to think of them wrongly. I'm not going to think wrongly of people who don't believe in Jesus. But however, uh, that is one point of view. So for somebody to say, well, I cannot like this person because of the person's beliefs singles out a certain person. How do you respond to that? No, I don't, I don't have a problem with people that differ from me in their beliefs. I really don't. And I'm willing to discuss with anybody these issues. But to me, it is absolutely obvious that human nature is completely mixed up. It is clear. It is clear that something is, as it says in Genesis 2, when evil came into the world because of the pride of Adam, of our first parents, in wanting to be as gods, et cetera. And this fall occurred. It was, it's called a fall, but it's really, God is saying in that narrative that he's trying to make us understand that something went wrong. Okay. So, and it is on. obvious, Neil, that something is grossly inadequate. So, so, so I'm going to give you the point of view. Something what? is grossly now. But what was it in the 60s? It has been. What is I'm not 40s? talking about the past 20 years. I'm talking about the entire Earth span. Ever since people have been here, they've been killing each other. They've been shooting each other. They've been beating each other with wars and assaults, etc. This is the way it is. It has always been this way. People constantly seeking to damage. And, and maybe it comes from the desire to outdo other people. That's a factor. But. This is the evil is a reality. Christianity accounts for it coming into the world. It accounts for human nature being defective. It's obvious that this is how it is. Christianity takes upon itself to provide an explanation. And to me, that explanation is a good explanation because I see people and how they live and what they do. And I, I include myself as a person who is in, who is a sinner, for want of a better word, along with the entire human race from the beginning of time to now. It's obvious. There have been six genocides in the past hundred years. What do you think? This is some kind of joke? So based are on you that, saying it, that, this so is, this so is not, not gotten real? Are you saying worse. this isn't real? No, some people were saying it's gotten progressively worse. It's not gotten worse. We just have not recognized that fact till now. It has been recognized since the beginning of time that people are somewhat limited in their conduct. For want of a better word, it is the reality of human nature being damaged, which is what Genesis 2, human nature was damaged and it brought death into the world. It brought sin into the world. It brought evil into the world. It brought everything that you can imagine bad into the world. And that narrative is saying in Genesis 2, this was, this was an accident, a mistake on the part of humanity, which brought this fall. All right, Andrew. That's take care. Right. Thanks. No issue. Bye. All right, guys. Uh, you're listening to the Neil Haley Show. And we'll be back in just a moment. 